0: This is the last week of our series that that is following the content uh, from Craig Rochelle's book, Winning the War in Your Mind. And you might be familiar with the term mind games. You you know what mind games are when people are messing with your mind. Maybe you're also familiar with the term prank war. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a prank war with someone, Uh, as, as nice as a prank war can be, but... I got involved with one of these, with one of my coworkers in, a couple of my coworkers up in Union Chapel back in Muncie, Indiana, one time. We did this event where we had these cardboard cutouts of like people that was life-size. So you could take a picture with the cardboard cutout and it would look like the real person. It's, you know, what we did before Photoshop was as accessible. It was funny. It was a funny thing. But my, my coworker had a bigger office than me and I had to put this big cutout somewhere and I just stuck it in his office because he got to put it somewhere. not going to go in mine. I put it in his office. And as he went into his office, after I did that, he turned and saw Sully from Monsters, Inc. standing there and it scared him. And when it scared him, I thought, oh, I really enjoyed that. I think I should do that again. I mean, Jeff Hughes is a fun person to scare. If any of you guys know Jeff, some of you do. And so these cardboard cutouts kind of made their way around. They made their way back into my office. They got me a couple of times. And there's just something fun about seeing someone get startled in a way that's nonviolent. Like, I mean, just startle them. It's scared. It's kind of fun to see. And there's videos of this all over the internet of people getting startled. There, there's one going around. It was pretty funny. A guy would pop out of a trash can and scare people and everyone got a good laugh. Until he did that to someone who was probably a boxer is what I would guess. Because when you get scared, you have a reaction right? And your reaction is pretty much based on what you've done with yourself in regards to training. And most of us naturally without any training, our reaction to getting startled is fight or flight. And we just flight, like we run, like we we get back. But if you've trained yourself, your reaction to getting scared is to just throw that right jab. And when that dude popped out of the trash can, he popped right back into the trash can in a crumpled heap. And the guy was like, oh, I'm sorry. But all of us were like, well, he kind of deserved it. Like, we, because we just know, fight or flight reaction, it's gonna happen. That in an instance, what is inside of you is gonna flow right out through your words, through your hands, through your behaviors, because there's this truth that our reaction is gonna be based on our past experience. And this is gonna play out if someone startles you out of a trash can, it's gonna play out if your spouse says something that makes you feel attacked. It's going to play out at work when you feel criticized and there will be a reaction. You won't think about it. It will come from your history, but it will occur. And I believe that we need some training in our life to change some of our behaviors of how we respond to given situations. Because I think all of us have had those times where we've heard our parents' voice flow through our mouth and we're like, I did not expect to say what she's always said but there it was, and you might like it and you might not like it. But I'm gonna tell you the way that we change that, the way that we make that be what we want it to be is through training. And our response to any given situation, whether fight or flight, I I believe that we need to learn how to fight for the kingdom of God. We need to learn how to fight for the advancement of the gospel. We have to fight for our marriages. We have to fight with integrity. We have to fight for our city and we have to stop running from situations that we should be running into. And so there's some training that needs to occur. And specifically, we're talking about worry and anxiety and fighting that, that war that goes on in our mind. And so we're going to be looking at a passage from Philippians today. It's a famous passage. You'll be familiar with it. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Philippians chapter, six verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And we'll project this up on the screen as I read it. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a really big call to prayer. And this is written from the perspective of someone who is doing what God called him to do. He's right now imprisoned as he's writing this. And so if you're ever like, okay, does anyone have a license to write about having peace in the middle of difficulty? It's him. Like he, he understands this is his life has been on the line. This is a difficult situation that he's writing from. And he's writing about not being anxious about anything. And so how do we get to the point where in the midst of difficulty, we can look at our circumstance and say, this circumstance is not going to dictate my behavior, my emotions or my abilities. How do we get to that point? Uh, It's going to take a lot of training. It's going to take a lot of change. It's going to take a lot of development. Uh, You know, they used to believe that the human brain does not change after adolescence. Like during adolescence, I don't know if they've ever met a teenager, but there was something about scientists at that point, early in the study of the brain, that they thought that the brain was done developing at the point of adolescence. They must have skipped high school and how different a high schooler is from a grown adult. And I'm sorry, teenagers, if you feel like I'm picking on you. Um, I I can attest, my mom, who's here today, hi mom, it's great to have you, Um, she had a magnet on the fridge that said something like, ask a teenager now why they still know everything, right? Um, It's good news for you, as smart as you think you are, you're still going to be smarter yet. And teenagers, there will come a day where you look back at yourself at 16, 17, 18, and you'll be like, oh my goodness, I thought I had it all together and I knew nothing. So you're going to be that much smarter than you are right now. You're going to develop. Your brain is going to change. And in decades past, they thought that our brains development, our lines of thinking were pretty much set in stone by the time we were about 17. But recent studies have showed that our brain actually will still change. That, That the way that we think can be completely revamped. And in fact, Integrating a habit like prayer, studies have shown that praying for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks can create such difference in the way that your brain processes things that it's visible on a brain scan. I mean, like your brain can still be changed. Your lines of thinking can still be changed. And it's not just that prayer changes something spiritually. It will actually physically change your patterns of thinking as you commit yourself to prayer. Well, why? Why why does that matter? Why why does that happen? Well, there's a couple reasons that prayer matters. First of all, and, and probably one of the most obvious is that when you pray to your heavenly father, the God who spoke the universe into existence, scripture teaches us that he hears you, that he responds to you, that his heart is turned towards you. And I, I often have to remind myself about things of nature to remind me about the expansive power of God. Like, have you ever had the chance to, to travel to Niagara Falls or any waterfall that's just substantial? And can, can you remember the sound and the physical feeling of just the beating of the water and how powerful it is? If you've ever, ever stood next to a river that is moving at the pace of white water, like, like been white water rafting where, you know, if you step into that river, you will just be washed down. You could never overpower it. If you stood at the ocean in the middle of a storm and heard and felt the waves and it made you feel small to remember that the God that you speak to, he spoke all of that into existence that when the Israelites stood on the, the shore of the Red Sea and they needed a miracle and he parted those powerful waters to make a way for his people. This is the God that you speak to. And he still works miracles today. And so prayer, it's important. It's powerful in our life because our heavenly father will take action. But it's also powerful because it reminds us of the truth of the situation. I've reminded you guys a couple times about this study that was done on the best way to to fireproof your marriage. It was a a surprise result. You know, some of the things they talked about, we've heard about that the divorce rate in Christians versus the world is only marginally different. But the one thing that set couples apart that 99% of them stayed married forever were couples that prayed together every single day. Just a short prayer. Why is that? Well, I believe one of the reasons why couples who pray together every single day stay together is because they're faced with the reality of the situation. It's difficult to go before the presence of God in prayer and hold on to your bitterness to the person that you're praying with when you're reminded that we're, we're commanded to be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another as Christ Jesus forgave you, when you're reminded of that and you stand before your heavenly father in prayer, you can't hold on to your grudge of the, of the person next to you. And so just even the act of praying together, it reminds you of the truth that you have to be someone who forgives other people. When when we go before our heavenly father in prayer, it reminds us about the temporal nature of who we are and how the world is, and that we have a God who loves us and it puts everything back into perspective. I mean, there's the supernatural of prayer, act of prayer that that he he acts and he does something when we pray to him, but there's also the, the truth that it sets our perspective back into its proper place. When we spend time with him in prayer, it it changes that. And then the third thing that I'd say about having an active prayer life, when, when the apostle Paul's writing, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, the more that we pray, the more we get that reflex behavior, that something happens, we bring it before God before we bring it before other men. We begin to develop that action of God, this is happening. How should I respond? What is the just way for me to respond? What is the way that I can respond to this that is going to best honor the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and we, be, we begin to develop that momentum that, that prayer becomes a reflex rather than a last resort. I mean, you've, you've heard, maybe even said, I probably have as well. Well, all we can do now is pray. Let me tell you, prayer should not be our last resort. It should be our first line of offense, It's not a defensive posture. It's an offensive posture. It's, I want something to change. I want to improve. I I want to get better. And so I'm going to move forward by praying because I know my heavenly father will act. I know it's going to help my attitude. I know it's going to help me pray more in the future. If I step into praying right now in this moment. Prayer, Prayer needs to be a constant part of how we live, but it's something that's trained. When I lived up in Toledo, Ohio, there was a time where I was driving across what's, it's the Mommy Bridge into Perrysburg. It's one of those bridges, much like the bridges here in town, that when it gets backed up, it just creeps under your skin. Like everything starts getting hotter. Everything starts getting angrier. Like when you get stuck in bridge traffic, And we're getting closer and I I see there's an accident up ahead and it's just a little fender bender. Everybody's probably okay, but the EMTs are on the scene checking on people. And I'm just like, I'm seven minutes later than I should have been. Like it's just stewing inside of me and my stinking two or three year old child behind me says, dad, you should pray for them. Like, I'm trying to be angry right now. I'm not trying to pray for people. Like, how dare you punch me in the stomach like that right now? I'm the pastor, you're the child, you just, you be quiet. But there's something that was ingrained in her that, you know, when someone was sick, she knew that we would pray. When something was wrong, when someone was hurt, like we would pray. And so her reaction as a small child was, hey, someone's hurt, why don't we pray for that? My reaction was, I wanna just be upset about it because it's an inconvenience for my day. But that's what prayer does, right? It resets our perspective. It says, okay, it's not gonna be a big deal that you're seven minutes later, but someone did get hurt and you're raising up the people around you and showing them how to respond to any given situation. And so react with prayer instead of reacting with anger. It's going to help you be that person that you know that you're supposed to be. One of the times when I was in college, I I don't even remember what the issue was. I just remember that I was upset. And one of my friends was walking by me, Uh, his name's Al Albert, um, and he he said, "Hey Paul, how are you doing?" And I just threw up like on him. Like here's all the details. Like and he's like, "I was probably just hoping for a passing by. I'm doing good. Like we're just walking past each other." Uh, and I I knew that he was someone who would pray, and so I wanted to tell him because I remember I wanted him to pray for me, but I wasn't feeling specifically spiritual in that moment either. So I just wanted him to pray for me later. And he's like, "I'm going to pray for you." And I was like, "All right, thanks." And I start to walk away, and he grabs me by the shoulder. He's like, "No, I'm going to pray for you now." I'm like. Not really what I was asking for, but I can't really walk away from that. He has a hold of me and he's bigger than me, so I have to stay. And he prayed for me right there. And I just, that, that still marked me because so often we ask someone to pray and we don't necessarily expect them to pray. We don't even necessarily always want them to pray right then. But I remember how much it encouraged me that he was like, no, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I don't even remember the issue anymore. Like that issue is long gone, but the memory of having someone who would grab my shoulder and pray for me, I mean, that still encourages me to this day. And so when someone around you has something, I want to give you license. I want to give you encouragement. I want to plant the idea in your head that if someone tells you something that's going on. Be like, yeah, I'll pray for you later, but I'm going to pray for you right now as well. And they may not be expecting that, but that's okay. Uh, speaking from experience, it's going to help them. It's going to reset their perspective. It's going to create opportunity for God to work. It's going to even maybe change the way that they see their opportunities for praying for people. Because the work of prayer delivers us to what verse seven is. I mean, when we read verse six, don't be anxious about anything. That's an instruction. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then what happens? And then the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Now, the peace of God—it's more expansive than you might think. I mean, we we roll through that and, and we see the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I, I read that and I don't like the cop-out thing of like, well, you can't understand it. Like, I. I I don't like that line of thinking and things. Of, you just have to accept it. You can't understand it. You just have to accept it as it is. That's not really what this is saying is that you just can't have any understanding of it. It's saying that the peace of God is more expansive than what you can comprehend. You can understand the peace of God and you might think, okay, the peace of God, it's like an inch wide. But when you really study it and experience, it wasn't an inch wide, it was a foot wide. And once you understand, okay, God's peace, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than a foot. It's a mile wide. God's going to show you, no, my, my peace that I have, that I will give to you. That when you ask, when you seek after me in prayer, when you walk in my ways, the peace that I give you in Christ, it's not just a mile wide. It's a light year wide. It, it, it's un, you cannot comprehend how wide it is. You can comprehend the peace of God. You can comprehend the fact that what he has for you in regards of peace and freedom from anxiety and worry is bigger than anything that the world can give to you. But you're not going to find the borders of it because it's that expansive. It's the peace that surpasses your understanding. And this is the peace that God wants you to live your life with. This is the peace that the apostle Paul held onto when his dreams of preaching in Rome were not going how he planned. That, that he's imprisoned and he's, he knows that he's probably on his way to death. It had been prophesied to him that he would be bound. It had been prophesied to the apostle Paul at the very beginning. When he came to Christ, he was told by God how much he was going to suffer for Christ's namesake. Difficulty was part of the journey for him. And he says the peace that God has for you. It's beyond what you could even understand. And so that's, you know, he, he's level 100 as far as Difficulty. I don't know what your current level is and I'm not trying to minimize that. But what I'm trying to remind you of is that when you walk closely in your heavenly father with prayer, the result of being in regular communication with him is that he's gonna impart into you his presence and this peace that will be more than enough for any situation you face. The peace that surpasses all understanding. And then what it does, it guards your heart and it guards your mind. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus is speaking. And he says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So from Jesus' perspective, if worry and anxiety gets into your heart, it spills out onto the people around you. Anxiety and worry, it doesn't just stay within you. It spreads out. And and the work of God, that when we're walking closely with him is that he guards our mind and guards our heart. This is like an army term here. This is uh, someone who is standing outside, filtering out who can get in and who can't. And when we keep the proper perspective of who our heavenly father is and who we are to him, that's what builds the trust and the faith that God is going to see me through this. That's what builds the trust and the faith that I know that in the end, he's going to use all of this for good. And so worry and fear and anxiety, it can't get at my heart and it can't get at my mind. And it's not going to get at my family. It's not going to get to my kids. It's not going to get to my coworkers through me because of what Christ is doing in me. It is walled off from my heart. And we all want that result, but it goes back to what does the prayer life look like? Because the result of having a guarded heart, that, that, that result of peace that surpasses all understanding comes from that relationship of prayer, of communication. There's a choice that we need to make. There's part of this that needs to be action that is taken, that helps us with that first initial challenge of don't be anxious about anything. I mean, we would love to not be anxious about anything, right? I mean, that, that, that would be the place that we want to be. Well, we have to first begin to choose to rewire the way that our brain has been working because our initial wiring just tends to be, I see something that could go wrong, it probably will. Like Murphy's law. And so we have to begin to relook at the situation and say, okay, God, how do you want me to see the circumstance? This is the delay that I did not expect. This is a criticism that is unfair. How should I react to it and talk to him about it? And you're going to begin to build a better reaction than just defending yourself out of the flesh, worrying about things that haven't even happened yet. Worry, Craig Rochelle defines worry this way, and I'll put this up on the screen. It says, worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Anxiety, worry it's the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Because we know that scripture tells us that he's going to be with us, that he, he's not going to forsake us, that he has a plan for us, that he has a purpose for us, that he's put gifts in us to make a difference in our world. We know that he's said that. And so when we question whether God has a purpose for your life, whether God has a future for your life, we're weighing, okay, what, what am I going to go with? What God's word says or what my emotions are feeling right now? Which one's going to carry more weight inside of me? And the power of God, is God able to do it? Is God able to see me through this? Is God able to give me the strength to, to deal with these people? Is God able to give me what I need to be able to pay my bills? Is God going to give me the, does he have the power to give me the opportunity to work, to earn what I need for my family? All of those questions of power and promise get weighed against our worry and anxiety. And when we let let the worry and anxiety win, that's when we're missing the mark. God has shown himself faithful time after time. But the way that we think about our circumstances, it it, it, need, it needs to change. Romans eight five talks about the two lines of thinking, and it says those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. So mindset and desire, mindset and desire. There's a connection. Whatever it is that you're, you're striving for, what is the thing that you really want? Is that in alignment with what God would want for you? It might seem like a weird question to ask, but it's true. And I know that we get caught up chasing after things that we know that God doesn't really care about this thing. This isn't going to matter forever. This isn't going to matter in a moment. It's probably not going to matter once I have it, because once I have it, I'll realize that it won't be enough. And I'll try to find something else to fill that void that only a close relationship with God will fill. Are you desiring what the spirit of God would desire for your life? It's going to affect your line of thinking. It's going to affect your future because letting the sinful nature control your mind and your desires leads towards death. And letting the spirit of God control your mind and your desires leads towards life. So what is your mind guiding you towards? How are are you dealing with the desires, with the worries, with the anxieties? Because I feel like the way that we are kind of doing this is we're like, okay, here's God, here's my worries. And when the worries get too much and it gets too, too much for me to handle, then I'm going to take some of my worry and I'm going to give it to God. And it's like, I'm just going to carry my own worries. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to have my own desires. I'm not going to really ask God about direction for my life. Like I'm just going to do my own thing. And, but when it gets too heavy, I'm going to kind of use God to alleviate the load. Like there's too much in this box. I'm going to move it over to the God box. And so we try to almost just take pieces of Christianity. It's like, I'm worried. So I'm going to take this one piece, of what scripture says, and I'm going to hold on to that, but I'm not really going to be all in. And I'm going to tell you, when you live that way, worry and anxiety probably will weigh you down. Because that's not how you were designed to live. Your, your worry will be too much. Your worry box is too big. And quite honestly, your, your God box is too small. And, and our perspective, our understanding of reality needs to get more accurate. And we need to, we need to make life look more like this. Like our God is bigger than all of these things. Our God is bigger than all of these worries. And no matter how heavy the worries have felt, it's not even about just moving things from the worry box. It's about saying my whole life, all of who I am, all of how I speak, all all of how my career will be, all of how my marriage will be is part of my person. And all of that is in Christ. It's not about balancing the boxes. It's saying, God, I am all in with you. And that's, that's what the passage says, is that this peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Scripture talks about us being in Christ and Christ being in us, that all of our life and our being is in him and with him. And it's supposed to move through him. It's not that we apply parts of him to parts of our life and those parts will get better. And I'll tell you, they probably will get better because living out scripture works. But the way that it really works is when we are all in with him. All of our heart, all of our fear, all of our anxiety cast right at his feet. In an authentic prayer life, uh, I'm going to give you three things to kind of encourage you in, in your prayer life. A prayer life is not just the spiritual conversation, but an authentic prayer life is a willingness to walk out what God puts on your heart while you pray. Because if right now you're a student and you're saying, God, like, I just, I need your help to get through this semester. I don't want to flunk out of college. I want to move towards the career that I feel like you've called me towards. And so I'm praying, will you please give me an A on this test? And then you don't study and expect God to spiritually impart biology into your head. And it doesn't happen. And you're like, what happened, God? I prayed to you about this. Okay. If he put it on your heart to be successful as a student, I'm going to tell you, he's also telling you to study. If he's putting on your heart to get physically in shape, you can't be eating the whole box of donuts and think that you're walking in obedience to Christ, right? There's something that has to be lived out in the way that we live our faith. And so as we pray to God, there's, first of all, we have to do do, do what I can. You have to do what you can do. In your prayer life, when you speak to him, there's gonna be times where he challenges you to take a step and it's gonna be frightening. But this is part of the rewiring of how our brain works of learning to trust. We actually have to walk in his ways. He will ask you to take a risk in response to your prayer for provision. He will ask you to take a step of obedience in moving you towards the future that you have dreamed about. He will ask you to risk or even lose or give something up. And you might walk through difficulty because of it. I won't hide that from you. I'll tell you straight up. You might walk through a difficult season, but God will redeem it in the end because he is always faithful. But you are called in your relationship with him and your prayer life to be ready to do what you can do. And then you have to give God what only he can do. There will be things that you pray about. There will be grandchildren that you pray about. There will be job opportunities that you pray about that you understand this is out of my hands. I've done what I can do. God, I'm going to trust that you're going to do what only you can do. And that's actually, that's the third step as well as that trust God no matter what. That if a door that you desperately wanted to open closes, you're going to say, I trust you. You've proven yourself to every generation that you are faithful. And even though in my heart, I wanted that, I know you have something better. I know your character. band. if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. Week one, when we, talk, when we started the series, we talked about how our life's direction, our life is always moving in the direction of the strongest thoughts that we have. That, that what we think about, it, it changes our heading, changes where we're going. And then week two, we're in, if we don't control what we think, we'll never change the direction that we go. The way that we think about life, it's going it's to change who we are. And so the way that we change our thinking is through the renewing of our mind through scripture. And this week four is about that connection in prayer, that responsiveness in prayer. There will be times where something jumps out of you, out at you. It may not be Sully from Monsters, Inc. in a cardboard cutout on the other side of your doorframe. It may not be that but something will jump out at you and surprise you. It's gonna mess with your plan. And then you're gonna react to it. And your reaction will come out of your training. We have to train ourselves in prayer. Before we speak, before we get angry, before we respond, we wanna be in constant communication with our heavenly father. And he is able He desires to work through you. But your response will change if you choose to retrain the way that you think. I, you know, sometimes trying to choose my words quickly. I I said sucks at least once last week, so I can't say that because that offends some people. Um, It can be difficult to be a pastor sometimes because you have to preach on things that you're currently having to walk out. Um, I got the word that we're not gonna be back in Island Coast High School until June 16th uh, at about 6.30 p.m. one evening this week. And I could not sleep that night. It upset me. It angered me. I had my reasons that were justifiable of why we should be able to be back there. Um, it's the right size for us, it's where we're supposed to be in the city. All the reasons of why that should be it. And here I am writing a message about not worrying while I can't sleep. And it was this point that I had to arrive to where I said, God, I trust you enough. I may not see the reason. I may not understand the timing but I know that down the road I will so in what I can do I'll honor you I'll trust you that you'll do what you say you'll do and whatever door you open or close I'm going to be alright and I know that this will play out in different ways in your life I know that you will have ups and downs with anxiety but this needs to be where you come back to Renew my mind with scripture, guide me with prayer and walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you do not want us to live in anxiety and worry. I thank you that you respond when we speak to you. And I thank you that we have the ability to change. Father, where change is needed in how we live, convict our hearts and propel us forward. And even before we see the result, we will praise you. In Jesus' name.